This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Two lengthy shows tonight, which means there's little for me to do except sit at the back of the studio and listen in while we hear another tale on the high seas aboard the Scarlet Queen. And this episode, by the way, first broadcast in 1947. Scarlet Queen. Position, 132 degrees 6 minutes west, 25 degrees 15 minutes north. Gyro compass course, 275. Wind fresh, sky fair. Remarks, departed island of Muninjima at 4.15 p.m. After unlogged movement of vessel. Reason for move, the Spaniard and the Lascar Pirates. Mid-afternoon, 15 days after we dropped the Hawaiian chain behind us that we raised on the horizon the mountain peaks of Muninjima and our appetite for cool, sweet water and fresh fruit. The island lies some 500 miles east-northeast from the Bonin Group and it served as a Japanese base during the war. My pre-war charts due to Jap secrecy were incomplete and inaccurate, but just before sunset when we stood around the southern tip, we did find the anchor had shown on them. It was a small half-moon bay protected by a line of breakers foaming in over a barrier reef. A little north of the center of the reef was our pad, wide enough for the queen to slip through with good steerage ways, friendly currents, and the light hand at the wheel. The water over the side took on a shallow look as we approached under power, and Gallagher went to the bow with a hand lead to measure the depth. He heaved the lead in line forward, and his readings came rolling back. Five fathoms, leaving a few to spare between keel and bottom. Shallowing to less than five as we closed on the pad. Five deep, four. Four and a half fathoms, and the teeth of the coral started to show through the white froth of surf. And the currents washing back from it took the bow of the queen from port and pushed. By the mark, four. Easy, tipper, easy. I fought the wheel, and for a moment the scarlet figurehead seemed to rest on the reef. And then her head swung into the narrow channel. The shoulders of the reef swirled by us on each side. No bottom at 15. No bottom at 15. We were in. To deep, quiet water. After our anchor. 
anchors were secured to the sandy bottom, Gallagher and I dropped into our dinghy and rowed toward a small pier that jutted out from the beach. At water level, we were able to see a cluster of half a dozen tin-roofed frame buildings set back from the shore and shaded by a grove of banyans and cocoa palms. We shipped our oars, started to make fast when we heard footsteps on the pier above us. I looked up. Straight into the muzzle of a 30 caliber rifle. A single watery china blue eye looked at me from behind the sight. Go back to your ship! Wait a minute. My ears stuffed up, or did you say go back to our ship? Get your ship out of the bay! You are welcome here! We need stores. This is no social call. We need water and fresh fruit, or we wouldn't have stopped. He's drunk, Skipper. Here, let me take that popcorn away from him. Oh, wait a minute, Red. I think he means it. I think he's. Red! Red, are you hit? No. But you're right, Skipper. He does mean it. The guy's stark raven nuts. And so Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tolman, and starring Elliot Lewis. The Scarlet Queen, broadest ship to sail the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week, a complete entry in the log. And every week, a league further in the strange voyage of the Scarlet Queen. I stood there in the dory, looking up at the rifle and the man behind it. He was a dissipated 35, dressed in rumpled white duck trousers, no shirt, and a linen jacket streaked down the front with liquor and food stains. I was trying to figure how drunk he was and whether to make a try for the rifle myself when a movement shoreside caught my eye. And what a movement. She walked across that strip of beach as if she owned it. Emmett! Emmett, what are you doing out here? I don't want them ashore. Give me that rifle. Give it here. There's too many of them here already. Give me that gun. I'll shoot them and then the others. You fucking fool! Go on. Go on or I'll use it on you. All right. We haven't got trouble enough. We'll have it now. I'm sorry, gentlemen. My husband has been ill. Please come ashore. You're more than welcome. <laughs> well, Skipper, what are we waiting for? That's a foolish question, Brett. I'm Nora Fairfield. Welcome to Mooneen Zima. I'm sorry your first greeting was so unpleasant. Yeah. What does your husband hunt with that cannon? Men. He hates them. But uh, you don't, hmm? Certainly not. That's why he does. You said he was sick. What's wrong with him? There's nothing you have to worry about. But I think I should warn you. You aren't the only visitors on Mooneen Zima. For an island that gets a steamer twice a year, we're doing well. I didn't see any boat in the bay. He wasn't as good a sailor as you are. He lost his ship on the reef a month ago. He should have stayed home. I'm beginning to think so myself. I let Red fight his own way out of that one. Something up ahead of us interested me more at the moment. She'd taken us into the compound, and we were maybe 50 yards from the residence house. It was a typical island bungalow built up on stilts with a deep veranda across the front of it, but it wasn't the house that interested me. It was a group of bare-chested, brown-skinned East Indians squatting on their heels at the foot of the stairs. They looked as though their short leave had lasted too long. And the curved knives they wore looked even meaner than their faces. Their eyes followed us as we went past them and into the house. Two men were sprawled in wicker chairs, and neither of them was her husband. 
The dark one, built along the lines of Rocky Graziano, grinned up at it. Cordinambri. The girl save you from the husband, too, no? Captain Ramirez. Captain, um... Carney. Bill Carney. And Mr. Gallagher, my first officer. That's good enough. I'm Dr. Mission. Thomas Mission. And you needn't tell me I looked the path. I've been told before. Captain Ramirez is the man I told you about, Captain Carney. You men talk. I'll go see if my husband has enough bottles to keep him comfortable. Hmm. <clears throat> uh, that was tough. Losing his ship, Ramirez. A mouthworthy. Sometimes bad, sometimes good. This time bad. But who knows? Maybe things get better today. Better, he says. With that heathen crew of yours squatting on their heels outside, ready to sink those murderous knives into our backs if we so much as look cross-eyed at them? Don't talk so much. Or I'll let you die on this island. Sure. That's your plan. You think you'll buy your way out of here in the Scarlet Queen and leave me here to rot? As one Irishman to another, Mr. Carney, this pirate has not got the price of a passage. You will have to excuse this doctor. <laughs> Too much, son. But if you take me, Carney, I have money in the States. Stay, like the money you stole in Manaquari. He will be in jail before he takes. <laughs> Listen to the man. That boat under the reef. Where do you think Captain Ramirez came by such a vessel? He stole it. And if you don't look sharp, that is enough. Oh. Now I help you out, doctor. You're a little rough on your passengers, aren't you, Ramirez? <laughs> uh, him? He lived too long in the tropics. His brain is fried. Maybe I should have butted in and saved him a sore jaw. The Scarlet Queen isn't taking on any passengers here. No room. Hey, how big is your crew, Connie? Eight seamen. <laughs> That's funny. That's my crew, eight men. But our crew's carrying guns, Ramirez, in case you got any idea. I didn't see anything but knives on those Laskers of yours. I don't worry. I've got gun down in my bungalow. But to see here, I prefer the knife myself. <laughs> Eight-inch knife blade vibrated in the table in front of us. He was so fast, I didn't even see where it came from, but there it was. He flashed us a smile full of oversized, over-polished teeth, then tugged the knife out of the wood and left. This is a great island, Skipper. I'm glad you brought me here. I just wish there was enough daylight and tide left to get us through that reef and out of here. You think he's crazy enough to try and take the queen? I don't know, Red, but I'm not sleeping tonight, and neither are you. We'll keep our eye on him from two places. I'll row you back to the ship, and I'm staying ashore. Wait a minute, Skipper. You're pulling your rank on me. I met her, too. Forget it, Red. There's a husband and Ramirez in the picture, too. By the time I'd taken Gallagher to the Queen, broken out enough rifles to arm the crew, and rowed back to the island, night had fallen. And the first quarter moon was rising above the tops of the ponds. when I hit the beach to get my bearings, decide which way to go. The threat was real enough, I was sure of that. Island shipwreck has turned sweeter characters than Ramirez to piracy. And the only way he or any of us could get out of there was on the decks of the Scarlet Queen. He was facing a crew of natives filled with frenzy for a home thousands of miles away. I was two legs out on a voyage with a $10 million prize at its destination somewhere in the South Pacific. 
I'd fought before, and I was ready to fight again to keep the Scarlet Queen underway. I found a shadow, black in the faint moonlight, made my automatic handy at my waist, and started counting the minutes to the rise of sun and tide and the chance to get away from this place. The first 20 went by slowly and quietly. Then I heard a rustle in the brush behind me. I took a quick step sideways, snapped my automatic from my belt, and whirled the faces out. Oh! Oh, Captain Carter, you... Oh, why waste time on an act? You didn't surprise me. Came looking for you. You just startled me a little. That puts us on common ground. Except for the surprise. Why were you looking for me? Because I've got to get away from Emmett. I want to go with you. Talk sense. I can't take you with me. You could, Phil. I don't know what's going to happen if I stay here with that decaying pig. I'm afraid I'll kill him. And I'm afraid he'll kill me. I've got to get away from here. So look at me. Please, Phil, take me away from here. You don't touch me, gorgeous. I can hear you saying the same thing the same way to Emmett about getting away from some other sucker. <laughs> the only way you're going to get away from this island is on a tramp steamer. Huh? Oh, Phil, I didn't mean that. Really, I didn't. I'm just going crazy, that's all. Phil, if you know what kind of a woman I am, can't we let it go at that? Then I couldn't hurt you. Phil. Phil, just for a minute... Don't be afraid of me. I, I hit you, didn't I? Because you knew me. For a second, I hated you. But now I don't. That's too bad. I feel more comfortable when you do. Anybody on any island would have given her A for effort and the same for her injured pride exit as she left my little plot of beach. I had half a hunch and maybe half a hope that she wasn't through pleading her case and she'd be back. I sat there through the next hour trying to keep my mind on the queen's cabin lights bobbing slightly out in the bay and to be ready for any movement towards her. There was only a split-second awareness of someone behind me, then a brown forearm was across my throat. I got a glimpse of a second figure slipping around in front of me. It was a turbaned Lascar. I kicked out at him. And the last thing I remembered was the smell of chloroform and the cloth he jammed across my nose and mouth. And the deep, gasping breath my lungs forced me to take when the forearm relaxed a little. That and the sound of oars being put in oarlocks. Somebody jumped into the dinghy and headed for the Scarlet Queen. And then the beach, the island, the whole world pulled away from me and I was too tired to care. I coasted back on was the light that leaked in through my eyelid. Then the nausea. The throbbing in my head. I got my eyes open long enough to realize that the brightness was coming through a window. It was daylight. Broad daylight. That's when I tried to get up and fell back on the cot. Ah, Connie. Your Irish, right from the brink of consciousness. Welcome back to a world of beauty. Yeah. But I can remember of it, I'm sure I like it. Help me up with you, Doc. I've already helped you up. If it hadn't been for me, you'd be well on your way to enriching the soil here on Moon and Jima. Hold it, Doc. Take me a while to collect these things. Here, the moon ampoule. If you must think, this will help clear it up. My ship, Doc? It's gone. 
But you're wrong. When you came into the bay out there, in the situation here, it was no longer your ship. It was common property among desperate people. You and I happened to lose. My mate Gallagher? Who knows? Even common property himself. Shared between three or four types of flesh-eating fish. My headache's stuck. I can't get very far beyond that yet. I'll mix you something. They brought you here last night after they plucked you off the beach. With my chloroform, by the way. Uh I was supposed to kill you neatly and silently. Slight swelling in your right arm was the point of injection. Uh Due to some last-minute loyalty to our common heritage, I lightened the door. Thanks. Yes. Think this. Yeah. You might say that you have been one milligram away from a heathen grave. My payment, of course, was to be passage out of here with Ramirez. You see, I'm here as a result of my dishonesty to him, no doubt. I feel sorry for you, Doc. Indeed, I feel the same thing myself. Now, if you'll get up on your own two feet instead of lying there like a sick dog, I think you'll feel better. Get a breath of air if you can find some moving. I was halfway to my feet before his last words got through the dizziness. There wasn't any air moving. I stumbled to the door and looked out. The palms and banyans were motionless. That meant one thing to me. The Scarlet Queen had to be under power to make any way. There wasn't enough breeze to even rattle her halyards. My wristwatch read 9 a.m., an hour and ten minutes after the earliest tide she could have crossed the reef on. I knew that if I could get high enough, my ship would still be in sight. I didn't know why I should torture myself. Maybe it was like hiding in a corner to watch your girl marry another guy. But I pulled what was left of me together and started up the mountain to see where the queen was going with somebody else. The summit was a jumble of rock. I scraped my way to the very top and stood there. Twelve miles of rolling, folded hills and valleys stretched to the north. Three miles of gentle slope to the south. And beyond, in a great circle, empty sea horizon. Not a sail. Not a mast. Not a speck in sight. Then I went down the mountain and back to the compound. It wasn't until then that I felt the new atmosphere of the place. Yesterday had been filled with chattering birds. Now there was nothing but the muttering of the surf against the reef, a leaden sky and humid, oppressive air. I went to the residence house to find Nora, hoping she'd know where Ramirez would make for her. I found her room and knocked. There wasn't any answer. I knocked again, and I went in. Ah. <laughs> like I say, Connie, mal suerte. But, uh... You look surprised to find me waiting for you. After the build-up, what else? What is the build-up when it all falls down? Where's my ship? I wish I knew. I wish I knew so well I was on it. How did you mess after your boy smothered me on the beach? Uh, I make big mistake. I warn you, don't ever trust a woman. Thanks. She took the dinghy right after my boys make the big mistake with you. Yeah, big mistake. They should have smothered her. I think maybe somebody else, too. Who is gone from the island? The girl, yes. Your chief mate, No. And your Scarlet Queen. I saw her go through the reef. What do you think? From here, that's hard to figure. Where's your Lascar crew behind me? Don't worry. My boys crawled away someplace this morning. They say sunrise too red. They say wind going to blow today. You should have crawled with them, Ramirez. This is going to be a good one. <laughs> 
See, I know this wind. I think we got out of this house quick. This is no good place for typhoon. You got a better place in mind? Uh, you make good questions, Connie. I say the wind makes us good friends when we were good enemy before. We get out of this house. Take the island and the woman, and I don't hurt you. 
The beautiful traffic night, Carney. You'll be happy, I tell you. You've been in the tropics too long yourself, Ramirez. That's fever talk. Oh, I tried to make it easy for you. I go on your ship. I tell you, maybe you die like Mitchell in this storm. What do you think? Well, you make it sound good, Ramirez. You make it sound good. Stay on the airfield! The only thing I knew about his knife draw was that he used his right hand. That's what I made for. taken, but it was long enough to make some changes in the scenery. Our dinghy was pulled up on the beach. Nora was standing there. Next to her was Gallagher. I thought maybe you'd need some help, Skipper, but you did all right, didn't you? I got a few things out of my system, but I got a few more. Now, take it easy, Skipper. You're tired, so calm down. How'd you get here? Wait a minute, Skipper. Come here, you. Fred! Fred, please, Fred! He told me you sent her to the Queen last night, that you were selling her passage to Kobe. Uh. What did he say? Never mind, Fairfield. I believed her. Because she put me wise to Ramirez. He and his Laskers tried to board the Queen of Dawn, but we were ready for him. She said you knew it, too, and were hiding out till it was over. You know how right she was. And then this morning, when I got a load of that typhoon sunrise, she told me about this place, and we came around. And a good thing, too. Yeah. If we put the whole thing off balance, the Queen would never have lived in that bay on the windward side. What's the rest of it, Skipper? I was supposed to be dead. And she was sick of Ramirez. Phil, Red, please let me say something. But you, Gallagher, you're supposed to sail off into the sunset with her. Oh, listen to me. You mean I can go into the sunset with Wait you? Wait a minute. You'll have to choose between her and me, Skipper. Well, when the chips are down, you're really more attractive, Red. <laughs> Glad to hear that, Skipper. I'm blushing with pride. And now shall we leave the fair fields to their island... What's left of it? Yeah. And to their Ramirez, what's left of him? Yeah, Skipper. I think we've wasted enough time on Moon and Jima. A few hours before sunset, the outside circle of the typhoon has passed, and we headed out of the crater base. I didn't bother to take soundings, but I did sketch an addition to the faulty charts of the island. Under power, we threaded through a narrow channel that the Japanese Navy had dredged from the almost landlocked basin to the open sea. We rounded a rocky point and swung the scarlet figurehead on our bow until she looked out on the course she'd been born to follow. Neither of us knew where that course would lead. When we were free of the rocks and I felt the breeze on my right cheek, I cut the motor. Stand by to make sail! and they'll leave, but the edges of the northeast trade sweeping around them were enough. The mainsail reached up the mast and took hold, and the cloying land smell was swept away and replaced by fresh sea air. The jibs ran up, and the mizzen, and the queen settled into a familiar position with her port rail inclining toward the green water. Is she see kindly, Skipper? She's doing fine, mate. We'll take her a little closer on when we make the north end of the island. That's an island I want to see sink behind the stern. Why you? You didn't have a tough time. Oh, you don't know, Skipper. That woman, 
She thinks all men are the same kind of man as her kind of woman. If you know what I mean. I think I do, and it reminds me of a friend of mine on Motomachi Street in Kobe. We'll have to look her up. Oh, no, not me. A glass of rice beer is as far as I go into Kobe. Drink, Skipper? Yeah. Hey! But this is lipstick on this bottle. Sure! What do you think she was? A savage? <laughs> lipstick never hurt you, did it? Ah, uh, go on. Have a drink, Skipper. After you, mate. After you. Entry, catch Scarlet Queen, 5.30 p.m. Miles traveled, 6,215. Mainsail and mizzen reefed, ship secure for night. Signed, Philip Carney, master. The voyage of the Scarlet Queen has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Stay tuned for The Life of Riley next on Theater of the Mind. Time now to go back to 1944 and hear what's happening on The Life of Riley. In the movie Wake Island, he was the Brooklyn Marine. In the broad with two Yanks, he's Biff the private. But tonight, he's just an overgrown kid anxiously waiting for Halloween. I'll never forget. When I was just a boy, every Halloween, my father used to stick me in the front window. We were too poor to buy a pumpkin. (laughs) (laughs) The American Meat Institute presents William Bendix in The Life of Riley. The meat people of America, providing a great food for a great nation. If you put all of America's meat retailers together in one city, it would make another city as big as Indianapolis. There are more than 400,000 meat retailers in this country. Another important link in the chain that gives you good, fresh meat every day, America. And now, on behalf of all those engaged in supplying meat to the nation... The American Meat Institute presents The Life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. By day, Riley is engaged in the serious business of war production as a riveter in a California aircraft plant. But tonight we see his less serious side. It's two nights before Halloween and Riley is full of the spirit of the thing. It's quite dark out, and Riley's son, Junior, is just returning from a meeting of the young Wildcats, his club, in a very thoughtful mood. <gasps> is that you, Pop? Shh. Yeah, Junior. What are you doing hiding on the back porch? Listen, peek in the kitchen window and see what your mother's doing. She's washing the supper dishes. Say, Pop, what are you doing with that false face on? You're Mickey Mouse, huh? No, I'm not Mickey Mouse. I'm the rat man of Blood Bucket Castle. <laughs> oh, at the dime store they sell those false faces for Mickey Mouse. Never mind. I bet your mother will think I'm the rat man. Oh, you gotta play a trick on Mom? Yeah. You see, last night we saw a horror picture about a nice, gruesome character, the rat man. He was a vampire. 
has lunch on people's necks. <laughs> oh, he ain't a rat. He's a bat. Oh, well, he's very depressing. Anyway, <laughs> afterwards, your mom was so scared something would pop out of a doorway at her, she walked all the way home in the middle of the street. <laughs> mom said you made her walk out there. No, I... <laughs> I just invited her out in the street because it ain't polite to leave a lady walking on the sidewalk all alone. <laughs> you watch now when I scratch at the door and she opens it up and sees me in this thing. Okay, Pop, go ahead. Okay, well, I hope she don't faint. <laughs> watch now. Pop! What? Bats don't growl, they squeak. Oh, yeah, that's right. Shh. Who's there? We got her guessing. <laughs> Well, I never. It's Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Junior. Junior, go get your father some cheese. Ha <laughs> ha. You sure fooled her, Pop. Yeah. Well, they don't make these masks as good as they used to. Or else maybe I got a very strong personality and it leaks through. <laughs> well, isn't it a little early for Halloween tricks, Riley? Well, it don't hurt to get a head start. Halloween's my favorite holiday. Look, Junior, there's something else I bought at the Five and Dime. You see this book? Ghost Stories. Well, well thanks, Pop, but I don't want to read any ghost stories tonight. What's the matter? You don't believe in ghosts, do you? No, I don't believe in ghosts, but I don't want to read anything that might change my mind. <laughs> Too many people think there's ghosts now. Hey, Dumper, what's the matter with him? Well, I don't know. Ever since he came home from school today, he's been asking me if I believe in haunted houses. <laughs> what a question. With the housing shortage, as sure as it is, who's going to leave a house empty for spooks? <laughs> well, there's one empty house up on Chestnut Hill, Riley. You know, the old Sherman place. Oh. Some people say that's haunted. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Cornwell claims she saw a pale white face at the window, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, but Mrs. Cornwell's a great one for ghosts. She's always holding seances and things like that. Yeah, yeah, that, that Cornwell kid's in Junior's club, too. I bet he's got our boy believing in ghosts. Well, I'm going to have a head-to-head -head talk with Junior. So you see, Junior, if I tell you there's no ghosts, you can take my word for it. After all, I've been your father for 13 years, ain't I? Oh, sure, Pop. Uh -huh. But if there aren't any ghosts, what haunts haunted houses? Listen, Junior, nothing haunts haunted houses. Oh, yes, they do, Pop. Johnny Cornwall's mother proved the house was haunted. How did she? She said she saw a ghost face in the window uh -huh. of the old Sherwin house. It was a horrible face, too. Oh, well, Mrs. Cornwell must have seen her own reflection. <laughs> There's a dame should walk into a room backwards and break her face to you slowly. <laughs> oh, then, Pop, then she came home and held a seance. She asked if what she saw was the ghost of Alice Sherwin, and she got three raps on the table. Well, that means yes in ghost language. <laughs> Fine language. All they can do is knock. They ought to be newspaper columnists. <laughs> <laughs> You better not make fun of ghosts, Pop. Look, Junior, would you sooner believe a ghost than your old man? No, Pop. Uh, but if the ghost said it was a ghost, it ought to know. 
Okay, I can see you're a septic. Now, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a C.H. right here to prove what Mrs. Cornwell saw wasn't that Sherwin girl's ghost. Come on, put your hands up on his table. Huh? Gosh, Papa, are you going to ask a ghost to rap? I'll show you. I'll put my hands on it, too, see? Okay, now I'll ask something. Are there any ghosts? See? No answer. No ghost. Nah, Pop. You have to ask for raps. Two means no. Three raps means yes. Oh, well, okay. Two raps for no, three for yes. Now, I'll ask him again. Did uh, Mrs. Cornwell see a ghost up at Sherwin's old haunted house? Gosh, Pop, it said no. See, that proves it. Mrs. Cornwell's a phony. <laughs> Well, um, ask him again if there are any ghosts. Okay. Are there any ghosts? Rap two for no. See that? The ghosts themselves say there aren't any ghosts. That proves it. <laughs> Wait a minute, Pop. Now, How could a ghost rap two for no if there aren't any ghosts? Well, that's very simple. The, uh... <laughs> I was just kidding, Sonny. I did that rapping myself. <laughs> Your hands were on the table. Yeah, but my feet weren't. Look at I just kicked up under that table with my foot like this. <laughs> oh, Pop. I bet you wouldn't kid around like that in a genuine haunted house like the Sherwin place. Well, sure I would, only I can't because I ain't going there. Would you be scared to go if you were going? Me? No. Oh, that's good, Pop. No, I ain't scared to go neither. How do you mean? Well, down at my club tonight, we got to talking what we do Halloween. So we made it up we'd go find out if Sherwin's old house was haunted or if it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I pity any ghosts when them young wildcats get in that house. <laughs> oh, we ain't all going inside, Pop. Just one of us got elected to go inside. The poor guy who got the short straw. <laughs> who got it? Well, I did. I see. Well, well, Junior, you show him you know there aren't any ghosts in there. I'm proud of you, Junior, walking in there all alone. I think that's well, a... I won't be all alone. I made up a rule the fellow had to go in could take in another fella, his best friend. Well, that's okay, too. If the guy you picked is a real friend, he'll go like a shot. Who'd you pick? I picked you, Pop. <laughs> well, I bet that... Uh, uh, me. Uh, look, Junior, I'm, I'm probably going to be very busy and... Pop, you ain't scared to go, are you? Well, no, but... The... And you are my best friend, aren't you? Huh? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I am. Actually, the, the saying is that your mother is your best friend. <laughs> well, I couldn't ask Mom to go. I'm sure glad you're coming with me. Yeah, me too, Junior. <laughs> As Lord Twitcher stood there in the dark hall of the great lonely house, he could feel something evil in the very air. A cold wind brushed his cheek, and an icy hand seemed to touch his spine. Suddenly, he saw the thing. And then he heard a sound. A low, wailing sound. No! 
Who's that? It's only me, dear. Did I startle you? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> no, I'm just reading this book here. <laughs> oh, the ghost stories you bought Junior, huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's nonsense. <laughs> oh, my, it's a quiet Halloween, isn't it? <laughs> what are what all those boys in Junior's club are doing tonight? I know what they're doing. They're all sitting over across from our house right now on the fence, like a row of buzzards waiting for us to come out. <laughs> oh, are they going to the house with you? Oh, uh, they're going as far as the gate of the place to make sure we go in. Oh, but you're not nervous about going, are you, Dean? You don't believe in ghosts? Well, no. You don't believe in them either, do you, Peg? <laughs> no. <laughs> but, uh... There is something queer about that house. Hmm? I wonder what did become of that poor Alice Sherwin. Well, if nobody knows, I don't want to find out. <laughs> what did they say happened to her? Oh, awfully sad story. She was a bride, you know, beautiful girl. Well, they were on their honeymoon in Manila. He was a captain in the Navy. She and her husband were going to come home and live in that old house. Then... Well, he was lost in an air raid. Some say they were both killed together. Others say that she followed him because she didn't want to live without him. Well, anyhow, the house stands there empty, waiting for the bride and bridegroom that never came to live in it. You'd want to leave the place alone. And I'm one of the people. <laughs> well, after you go there tonight, maybe people will stop talking and gossiping about the house. Because you'll prove there's nothing there. Yeah, maybe. Now, what was all that talk about seeing lights and faces around the place? Oh, just talk, I suppose. Yeah. But they do say that they saw a woman's figure at the window in the attic. Pop! Uh, <laughs> Junior! What's the idea of sneaking in like that? It's time to go, Pop. I... Huh? <laughs> Oh, well, yeah. Well, okay, Junior. Goodbye, Dumplin. Goodbye, boy. Sure dark out, isn't it, Pop? Yeah. Pop? Uh, that Sherwin house we're going to, it, it can't be really haunted, can it? No. What? It's funny that people have seen a ghost in there. Yeah, well, look, Junior, well, when we get in that house, you, you do just like I do. You won't see no ghosts. Oh. <laughs> what are you going to do, Pop? I'm going to keep my eyes shut. <laughs> Well, not even Nervous Riley has any idea of what's in store for him as he and Junior head for the mysterious old Sherwin place. We'll rejoin them in just a moment. Right now, this is Ken Niles speaking for meat. The other day in a meat market, Mrs. Niles overheard a woman say, Joe, I hear all this talk about braising meat, but just what meat do you braise? Well, Joe, the meat man, told her, of course, and out of that comes this excellent thought. Maybe some of you would like a little review of the braising cuts of beef. Well, in the first place, braising is an ideal way of preparing the lean, point-free beef coming on the market these days in order to bring out all its fine flavor and tenderness. 
And here are the favorite braising cuts. Popular pot roast, juicy Swiss steak, tasty flank chops, easily cooked short ribs, country fried steaks. Oh, but why go on? My mouth is watering so much I can hardly talk now. But remember, braising is long cooking over low heat. And that's the way to good gravy, too. After all, whether you braise, roast, or broil meat, you are getting essential, highest-quality proteins for which meat is nutritionally noted. Meat is a yardstick of protein foods because meat measures up to every protein need. And now back to the life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. It's just midnight, a very dark midnight. Even the moon is hiding on this Halloween. Riley and his son, Junior, are just approaching the rusty iron gate that guards the old Sherwin house, which is said to be haunted. Listen. Here's the gate, Pop. Let's go in. Uh, Maybe the gate's locked so we can't get in. (laughs) Gee, wouldn't that be too bad? (laughs) We've got to get in, Pop. The gang's followed us all the way from town, and they're still watching. Uh, Yeah, they trail us like sharks after a sinking ship. Let's go in, Pop. Okay. What's that? The gate. The the hinges are all rusty. Maybe we ought to go back to town and get some oil, huh? (laughs) Come on in the garden, Pop. Gosh, it's dark. Yeah. Well, follow me, Junior. Where are you? Right behind you. (laughs) Here. Give me your hand. I see the house, Pop. The moon's coming out of a cloud. Yeah. Junior. Huh? What's that over there? Huh? Uh, I think that's your shadow, Pop. (laughs) If that's my shadow, why is it moving while I'm standing still? this way. And since when does a shadow make footsteps? Good evening, Riley. Oh, oh, wait, Pop. It's your friend, Mr. Odell, the undertaker. I don't. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, how are you, Digger? I never thought I'd be glad to... (laughs) Never thought I'd be glad to see an undertaker. You're looking fine, Riley. Very natural. <laughs> Tell me, what are you doing here around the old Sherwin house? Oh, uh, well, nothing, Digger. We're just having some fun on Halloween. Ah, uh, Halloween. I adore Halloween. It's so gay. <laughs> Digger, do, do you hang around this old house much? Oh, yes, indeed. It's one of my favorite haunts. <laughs> haunts? Listen, you don't think there's anything in there, do you? Who knows? Sometimes as I stroll through this old garden, I feel unseen eyes follow me. You do, huh? <laughs> Riley, you're not going inside the house. Well, we thought we might drop in a minute. I could be talked out of it. Take my advice, Riley. Remain outside. 
Enjoy the beautiful flowers. They're my favorite flowers. Lilies. <laughs> Digger, when you talk about lilies, please don't stare at my chest. <laughs> Strange how some people have no interest in horticulture. In my profession, we have a saying. You may not like flowers at first, but eventually they grow on you. <laughs> By the way, Riley, how tall are you? Well, I'm about five feet. Uh, uh, why? I'd like to borrow your overcoat Saturday to wear at the football game. Oh, sure, sure. I'll pick it up at one o'clock. Uh-huh. I want to get to the game before they kick off. <laughs> Here's the door to the house, Pop. It's open. Well, leave it open. Why? Uh, well, one thing, Junior, nobody will never be able to say your old man was a coward. Let's go in. Now let's go out. (laughs) Wait, Pop. We've only been in one room. We're supposed to go through the whole house. As far as I'm concerned, this is a one-room house. Come on. (laughs) Wait, Pop. What for? I I told the kids you didn't believe in ghosts, and and I said we'd have another seance like we did at home. Junior, a blood relationship can only be stretched so far. (laughs) Oh, Pop, you you said you'd do it in a haunted house, and... And if we didn't hear anything, it would prove there wasn't any you-know around here. I already proved there wasn't any you-know around here. Well, you didn't do it right. Well, I... I found out for a seance, the medium has to be tied in a chair so it can't pull no tricks. Well, okay, Junior. I'd be glad to let you tie me up. Only there ain't no rope. <laughs> then. <laughs> well, I brought some rope, Pop. <laughs> That was swell of you, Junior. I'll remember this. Go ahead, tie me. There, can you move your hands or feet? No, you tied me so tight, Dan Green is sitting in. (laughs) Now, stand over by the window where I can see you. Here I am, Pop. Ah, you'll see, Junior. There won't be any reps this time. If you're right, Pop. Of course I'm right. How can there be any wraps when I'm tied up too tight to wrap? And I also got my eye on you. Well, go ahead, then. Ask if there's any ghosts here. Okay, now. If there's any ghosts here, wrap two times. If there ain't, don't bother. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. No wraps. Oh, now say, if there are any ghosts, to wrap three times. Uh, okay, but there won't be any. If there are any ghosts... Rap three times. Uh, uh, Junior, did, did you do that? Uh, I, I didn't. Didn't you? Frankly, no. <laughs> Junior, 
Where are you going? Out the window. Come on. Don't come back. Untie me, Junior. I can't get this chair through that window. Junior. <laughs> oh, Bob. Bob. Bob, I can't get the nuts loose. Well, I better go get a knife. Why Junior, you don't, don't, don't. Don't forget to come back. <laughs> I had to open my big mouth for wraps, and I got wraps. <laughs> Fine thing, all alone in a house with a... Uh, what's that? Who, who, who's that? What are you doing in my house? I, I must be going crazy. Why did you come here? I, I wouldn't stay, lady, only I got tied up. <laughs> I will loosen the knot. Yep. Well, thanks. Who are you? I am Alice Chewing. Now I know I'm crazy. I'm talking to a ghost. Bob, Bob, come on. Well, Judy. Please, don't tell anyone I'm here. I, I only want to be left alone here in my house. I got a knife and... Pop, you're untied. Yeah. And it was a ghost that done it. Wait a minute. Her hands. They weren't no ghost's hands. Junior, you go outside and wait for me. Well, what are you going to do, Pop? I'm going to have another talk with that that lady ghost. <laughs> Why did you want to see me, Mr. Riley? Well, when I, when I figured out you wasn't a ghost, I got to thinking how lonesome you must be in this house all alone. So I thought maybe you'd like to take a stroll over to my house and meet my family. Oh, thank you, but oh, if, I... If you'd rather not talk, I'll go away. No, don't go yet. I mustn't be rude to my first guest in so long. Oh, thanks. Must be kind of a shock when the first man you see in so long looks like I do. <laughs> Tell me about your family, Mr. Riley. Well, my my family's named Riley after me. <laughs> very nice people, too. That was my son, Junior, that was with me tonight. It must be wonderful to have a son. Oh, it's great. I got a daughter, too. A girl. <laughs> she's she's sixteen now. The boy's thirteen, but getting older all the time. <laughs> then there's there's Peg. That's my wife. She's older than the kids, but younger than me. <laughs> Say, in that picture of you over the fireplace, I guess that fellow with you—that's your husband. Huh? Yes. That's Robert. He's a good-looking fella. Maybe you'd rather not talk about him, though. Silence won't bring him back. My wife told me about what... what happened. Of course, she didn't know the part about your being here. I don't want anyone to know. I want to stay here, alone, with his memory. It's the least I can do. In loyalty to him. Oh. You mean you, you think that's what he'd want you to do? Of course. 
Does that surprise you? Well, yes, ma'am, it does. I didn't know him, but from his picture there, I know he was a swell guy. I wouldn't think he'd want you locked up here, throwing the rest of your life away. Do you think any man wants the wife he loved to forget him in, in a year or ever? Well, no, but there's, there's different ways of remembering. I don't understand. You, you can make his dying count for something by helping to beat the people who started this war and teaching the world that it won't pay to ever start another. You think that I could help end this war? Sure. Everybody can do something. The only thing a person can't do is is do nothing. Oh, I... I guess you think I've been very selfish, Mr. Riley. Oh, no. No, you've been shut up in this empty house. You just didn't know what was going on. The people I can't understand are the ones who do know and still don't care. Most people live in something worse than an empty house. They live in an empty brain. Well, I'm not one of them, Mr. Riley. You... You've given me something to think about. And I'm very grateful. Oh, well, gee, that's fine. Well, I guess I'll be going. I'm sure glad you ain't no ghost. Of course, I ain't actually scared of ghosts because I know there ain't no ghosts. Are there? <laughs> of course not. But, you know, Mrs. Sherwin, it, it is kind of dark out in that garden. <laughs> Would you mind walking me to the gate? <laughs> the Rileys will be back in a moment. Well, I think we can all agree with Riley that none of us here at home can sit this war out. The war isn't over in Europe, the war isn't over in the South Pacific, and the war isn't over in America's kitchens. You women who have signed up for the duration to keep health-giving meals on America's tables just can't pick out the meat you want and be sure of getting it every time these days. The needs of war are bound to make the varieties and quantities your meat man has vary from day to day. So let's all make good meals out of whatever meats are on hand. And remember this, all meats, regardless of cut or kind, have the same complete highest quality good-eating proteins that make meat a yardstick of protein foods. This statement and all statements regarding the nutritional value of meat made on this program are accepted by the Council on Foods and Nutrition of the American Medical Association. Hiya, Dumplin'. Hey, I, I got some big news about Halloween. Yes? Well, you, you, you know, I, I think I'm going to open up a one-man recruiting outfit. I'm going to recruit waves, wax, spars, and spooks. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Lone Ranger, followed by The Great Gildersleeve. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell, Paul Stringer, and Justin Eacock for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.